I leveraged and learned about Kanban methodology. It's what like tech companies and other companies use. It's just a different way to organize your work. And I can tell you time after time, we have exceeded all expectations of throughput by just organizing our work differently. And, you know, we use Slack and we use all the various methodologies, but we have a Slack channel for every project and every team that's working on something. Uh, we have check-ins with our meetings, kind of run it like a scrum agile methodology mixed with Kanban. And it has really made a huge difference in productivity. My name is Max Gagliardi, and this is Always Be Building. If you're watching this video, take a moment, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, or you can follow me on your favorite podcast app. Hope you enjoy the show. Donna, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, the energy service business, how's, uh, how's it going? You know, pretty well. Uh, we fit the model right now. A lot of people don't want to hire and uh, increase their overhead and G&A expenses. So we help offload land administration, land services, uh, back office support with project data cleanup and day-to-day -day services. So we're staying busy. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That's a good thing. Uh, just the easy questions early. If you could go back uh, and give yourself one piece of advice from when you very <laughs> first started doing all this, what would it be? Oh, there's so much that I would like to tell my younger self. Where do I start? Um, I, easy questions first. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought this was supposed to be a softball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I would say, um, you know, one person gave me some really good advice. It said, start with what you know and go from there. Yeah. And I, I thought I knew sometimes a lot more than I really did. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and I've learned a lot and had good mentors along the way. So That's listening really, to other people and getting yeah. more information is always the right answer. That's really important. <laughs> what, uh, just for the listeners, like the history of the, what you're doing now and how you got started doing it. And if you want, but what you did before then too. Sure. So um, a little bit more about my background. I started at Chesapeake, like most of us here yeah. in the oil and gas industry. Uh, I loved it. I had great mentors, got to work in all the different plays when they were hot and uh, really got a great sense of uh, how to bill and pay people correctly, how to do the jobs that have to be done and nobody really wants to do. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I met a lot of good people along the way and then uh, owned and managed a uh, brokerage for about four years. We did a lot of data conversions and had a lot of exposure to other systems and different ways to do things. Picked up some best practices, worked at a private equity backed company for a little while and decided I missed the consulting space. So started back up in January of 21, haven't looked back and I've uh, been thankful to build a, a pretty good team and and we're busy. So I didn't realize you, I guess I knew that you had gone in in-house for a while and then mm -hmm. came back. I didn't realize it was as recent as 2021. That's not that long ago. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it? You kind of glossed over it. You're like, well, I started up this mm -hmm. land brokerage or this brokerage <laughs> thing. Just the, the thought process of going through it because it's not like that easy. I mean, in some ways it's easy to start something up, but in other ways it's a big leap that most people don't ever do. And you're just like, oh yeah, we just did this. But talk about just the thought process going into there. Like, was it out of just necessity or just what were you thinking at the time and how did you go about doing it? Sure. So, um, like I said, I really enjoyed what I was doing at Chesapeake. Uh, I talked to a lot of our non-op partners and realized there's a lot of repetitive process. There's a lot of uh, work that duplicative work that goes on between all of the different companies. And I was looking for a good 
you know, challenge and something that, uh, you know, helped suit more of my risk tolerance and, and what I was looking for. Of course, I was very naive and was like, I'm going to go out and conquer the world, learned a lot <laughs> of lessons. Um, but really, it was a, a drive to start something new, create an environment that I thought really worked and met both like, a, a, but when I started that a long time ago, contractors were not as popular, there was a lot of uh, ladies, sorry to say it, out there that yeah. I knew worked really hard and needed more of a part-time fit or something along those lines. So we were able to both meet that need and uh, service companies and provide good work. So I don't know. A lot of things went into it, but those were kind of some driving factors. Was it like a you had a business plan and you went and you executed on it or was it more just kind of like I picked up a little work and I got a little more work? So that's sort of how it was with us it was mm -hmm. like we kind of had a plan but it really was more just sort of like it, start doing yes it was an idea and then you just start talking to your network which thankfully you know this at Chesapeake yeah. you make all of your friends there and then they've all dispersed among the world and you just start telling people what you're you're doing and what services you think you could provide and you start finding needs and listening to what people need and figuring out how you can meet that need <laughs> so sure. so it was a general plan an idea but um just kind of have to get out and start doing it. Yeah. I skipped over uh, this gentleman here on my left when we started for people that are watching, there's another person here for people that are listening. We've got uh, Chris Sorrells here as well to just kind of hang out. We don't do a lot of these in the studio. So it was like, let's all just get together and, and uh, do this and hang out here. So if anybody's just listening, there's a voice that pops in. That's not mine. It's, it's Chris. a random voice that comes into the, yeah, I yeah, guess you did talk a little me. bit earlier. Uh, what about just like some of the infrastructure around, we can talk about your company today because I think you're doing a lot of cool things. But back then, things like uh, accounting, things like record keeping, things like you have to start invoicing, mm -hmm. just, you know, create an LLC. I mean, did you have all that stuff figured out or was that like <laughs> a walk through that process? And I'm interested to hear this yeah. stuff because I've been through these growing pains. Yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, the simple answer is no. I had no idea yeah. what I, <laughs> I was getting into, but I knew I could figure it out. And I had friends who have done it before. So, um, you know leveraged resources, figured it out, talked to a lot of people, did a couple of things that, you know, you're like, oh, well, I probably should have set that up differently. Um, but really getting off the ground, especially this last time in 21, had a pretty good idea of what we wanted to do, take a little bit of a different approach to the market and cast a pretty wide net. So, um, you know, while we do services, probably about 40% of our businesses, 40 to 50 is services. We also do a lot of software selection and implementation. So taking all that experience that we've gained through uh, data transitions, uh, transactional sales, and take a lot of taking kind agreements, yeah. sorting through those and administering all of the land administration function. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that you learn and I think it's really fun. And what's kind of our niche is, is taking our industry experience out into the market and providing good consolid consulting yeah. services. I mean, we're software agnostic, don't have a, a relate, we have good relationships <clears throat> with all the vendors and, you know, everybody has a different budget point vision, scalability, like what they're really looking for. And we can help make those connections. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and probably like for different situations, different softwares would fit kind mm -hmm. of the need of that right. that company better, right? So yep. that being agnostic. Yes, absolutely. There's no one right answer for yeah. everybody, uh, and you know, they're we're going to focus on the top five needs that you have, and these are two or three options that would solve 80% of your problems. No software is going to solve 100% of your problems, unfortunately. But you can add on great 
like in view or other things like that, that really enhance the ability of your, your vision and visibility into your problems. Yeah. Sure. How do you deal with the, uh, these are more just kind of philosophical entrepreneur questions. We can get more than nuts yeah, and bolts like of what it. you do, but how do you deal with like uncertainty when you're doing something on your own and going out there? Cause I always felt like that was a very ch- big challenge for me, like not knowing like in a big company, you kind of have, all right, bonuses come up at this time. This is my <laughs> salary. Uh, I've got this direct report boss and I know what they like their personality. If you're dealing with a bunch of different clients, they all have different personalities. Um, if you're in a short term type of work environment where maybe your contracts don't have a lot of term, you may not know what the future is going to look like in six months or six years. That was always something that wasn't innate to me, but how does that ever affected you? How do you deal with that? Um, Yes, it absolutely has affected me. I've probably lost a lot of sleep <laughs> over, uh, you know, what did I get myself into here? Um, but I have found over and over again that uh, just when I think, well, maybe I need to back out here. Maybe I need to think about this differently. The phone always rings. You run into somebody, you have another conversation and it continues to grow and build and expand. But it is a, uh, a definite challenge that comes up. But I think you kind of get comfortable with a little bit of that risk the, the yeah. longer it goes on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and the ups and downs of oil and gas, I mean, for sure, being in like another type of service industry, I know everything has cycles, but it seems like the cycles are so crazy. I mean, even right now, like we've gas is down 65% or whatever. And 45 days or something like that in a a matter of weeks. Yeah. In a matter of weeks, it can change. Um, So you went, this is interesting and I hadn't really thought about it a lot until you were sitting down here talking, but you went from having your own thing and then to going in house. Uh, What was that like? Cause I have thought about, especially early on, I've always been like, I feel like I'm kind of just taking a leap off of a cliff and making myself unhirable (laughs) at some level. Like, I just, I feel very unhirable at this point after being doing it you're on your yeah. own for like a certain period of time. You're almost kind of like, I don't know. So how was that transition and then going back and just. It was tough. I mean, I loved what I did. I was excited about it. I had a lot going, but I also had a lot going and I yeah. was, I was spread pretty thin. So I thought, you know, this is a pretty good offer. I enjoyed this, uh, that PE team as flywheel energy and they were great. Um, so I, I thought it would be a good idea to, uh, you know, maybe simplify a little bit and go in house and really help them as they were standing up, you know, a $1.8 billion asset and, uh, get all of that off the ground. And I had the opportunity to learn a lot there. I kind of got on more on the revenue accounting side, which is (laughs) probably scary for anybody that knows me, but I learned a lot. I had a great team, a lot of good mentors. So it was good. For sure. What about like, uh, prioritization of what you need to do when you're on your own like you wake up in the morning and you're like i have all these things i could do it's not like you have a task of hey i've got this boss that they need these things to get done or here's this report i gotta do it's like you could probably take it in a lot of different directions every day or every week uh, is that something you struggle with at all because again these are the things that i absolutely it's it's funny that you mentioned that because i I was just talking to jr about it the other day i was like okay these are silent killers all the emails that i get like bogged down in or the projects that i get bogged down in i have to stay step back especially this year i'm really looking at okay where do i actually add the most value to our company and i need to scale back my involvement maybe some of the day-to-day operations even though it's really easy for me to get back into but really where do i add the most value for my team um, for our company, for where we're going and try to prioritize that way. It doesn't always work that way, but that is where I try to focus my time, especially more now that we're in year three. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. 
Yeah. Mean, do, do you have like any I don't know, like tips or tricks? You know, it's like how, how, no, no, <laughs> right. how, how do you how do you kind of force yourself to do that? Because if you if you're driven, right, you've started it. You started mm-hmm. it with your own hands, and you can do the work really well. You're going to want to mm-hmm. jump in and help. And ha- so, what's what's your trick to kind of pull yourself out and? Mm-hmm. I have a really good team that knows me really well yeah. and will say, no, go ahead and give that over. We'll, we'll take care of it. We'll take it off yeah. your plate. Um, they, they really are so good. They help me a lot with delegation. And I think that's something that I, I it's very important to me to hire really good people and uh, work with uh, yeah. good talent. But it's hard because yeah. I, I like to know all the little things that are going on. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how do you measure the ROI of those decisions? Because I think that's sometimes hard for me Mm because it's like one thing that I and I have a question about scaling. I guess we can get into it now. But as you start to scale, naturally, you have to let things go. And then you start to look at maybe where there's an area where the company has been very profitable, where things are going really well. And you're like, I'm not really doing that much with that. And you're like, that's weird. Like, I'm not really doing that. But yet it's working really well. And but that means probably that that's a good thing. Like you empowered the right people and they did it. But just uh how do you think about scaling and then the challenges with that being on your own? And then also like uh, those moments when you have to let go to scale. Ooh, you hit a, a hot button because yeah. we're, we're really looking at that. I mean, uh, we're growing, which is a good thing. We've got a pretty good sized team. Um, and, you know, that those are all really positive things, but it's also, and I'd rather have those problems than the other problem where oh, there's yeah. not anything going on. Uh, so it's a good challenge, but I, I would say, yeah, we're kind of evaluating also that same thing. We're right in that cycle of like, okay, this has the highest ROI. This has the most, like, the, but this pays our bills and this is what we're doing here. So I don't know the answer is I have no magic answers. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I kind of look at it more in depth on a quarterly basis. And then we have monthly strategic meetings and try to say, okay, we're going to close XYZ or we have XYZ in the pipeline and we're just kind of right. focused on what will continue to feed the machine, all, yeah. the, all the people that are doing the work. Right. Do you have like a uh, formal CRM or sales like process or pipeline or software or anything that you use? Because we're kind of looking into some of it. We never historically really have. It's been more like spreadsheets, BD stuff, BD meeting. Um, but there's some cool tools. I, we haven't really been using them, but we probably should be. What do you, How do you guys think about the sales and the BD process? I mean, I have a standard process of like, questionnaire for software selection and this is our standard design configure you know conform like we have a standard methodology philosophy that we rinse and repeat because it applies across the board um but when we're trying to get better so i don't have a great answer for that but we are we are revamping the website so it won't look like i did it (laughs) because i am not a software (laughs) web designer so that's that's fun but we're we're going to have on contact um crm piece that will be more helpful i think yeah that's good what are the things that uh producers are not doing very well that they need help with in your opinion there is. Producers, or we can even talk about the renewable space too, because I know you're doing some stuff there. But yeah, start yeah. with oil and gas producers. Oh, not uh, to be mean, but just like, what are some things that you think are pain points that uh, they need help with? Yeah, yeah. opportunities. We call those opportunities, right? <laughs> not what they're doing terrible at. <laughs> you're not doing well at this. You need help. Uh, no, you know, I think between you know your contractual provisions that the all the contracts that lay the groundwork between your leases joas marketing contracts everything that ends up you know 
paying off down the line. You have to administer all of those things. So I think there's a gap between, you know, one, making sure that that land system and accounting system have all the right attributes captured so you can administer them correctly. Mm-hmm. The results of that are litigation, lawsuits, things that you don't count on when you're right. underwriting that asset <laughs> that will probably tank it. Uh, so I think there's a gap there and just, uh, you know, reviewing your data and getting it up to speed. is a lot better than it used to be. There's a lot of cool tools out there and technology that we can leverage. And then I think the other part is connecting the dots between all of that with how your revenue is actually getting, you know, paid and by the purchaser, your marketing, your downstream effects and seeing where that is landing in relationship with your actual bottom line with what's right. coming in the door. So I think those are a couple of areas that um, really make a bigger impact overall on the whole um, on the whole opportunity to yeah. <laughs> to explore and and focus more more money on in the current state. Are companies willing to focus on those uh, opportunities, or are there some companies that are like, "This is just the way we do it," and you're like, "But yeah, we could save you money and make your life easier." And it's hard to how do you translate that to people? I guess is what I'm saying. And is it an easy message to translate? You know, it's always your audience. Who are you talking to? Um, If they're former, they come through like the finance side, you speak more to ROI and bottom line. And, you know, this is X, Y, Z examples of things that we've done. Um, If they've come more through the operation side, you, you can speak more to make analogies to, you know, line loss and like you're losing value over here you could be gaining it back it really depends on your audience and who you're talking to in my opinion on how you can pitch that uh, value add because it is and we have seen a tremendous um, gain in people just getting both visibility into their work and ability to uh, capitalize on those improvements sure when you went back into it, sorry, I'm jumping around. No, you're good. And uh, you feel free to jump in if I'm, I'm just kind of stream of consciousness. When you went back into <laughs> it uh, after leaving the in-house, did you feel invigorated and renewed? And you're like, I've done this. I have a better plan now. Like I have this figured out. Or is it still just kind of <laughs> like, you're just like, these are interesting questions to me. Oh, uh, well, yes. Some days I was yeah. like, yes, I can do this. And then other days I was like, oh, okay. I don't know yeah. <laughs> what I got into. So I went back and forth. But I, you know, I felt more confident than just after conquering that first year, it was like, okay, we can do this. We have a good handle. We've exceeded the expectations that I have, thankfully, and we're, we're, we're going to make it. Yeah. Um, Does it, I guess, post COVID, it was a little bit more clear of a picture. Um, Man, I had a good question off of that. I'm going blank on it. What, uh, what technology are you guys using internally? I know you do software implementation for other people, but is there any piece of a tech that you're using that you guys find really valuable or is it more just like we have to adapt to what other people are doing? I, my part of my philosophy is that we're plug and play. So we jump into, we're not pushing a software. We're not tied to a software. Our analysts are very experienced and can jump into, you know, Quorum, P2, Excalibur, whatever you have, we can plug and play into. I would say what we use is um, a couple of things that you're going to get me here on a tangent, but uh, I I leveraged and learned about Kanban methodology. It's what like tech companies and other companies use. It's just a different way to organize your work. And I can tell you time after time, we have exceeded all expectations of throughput by just organizing our work differently. And, you know, we use Slack and we use all the various methodologies, but we have a Slack channel for every project and every team that's working on something. Uh, We have check-ins with our meetings, kind of run it like a scrum 
agile methodology mixed with Kanban. And it has really made a huge difference in productivity. We've talked to some other companies about how to implement this within their own, um, you know, companies or, or adopt, adopted into land or oil and gas or yeah. renewables. Uh, and it's really worked really well. Yeah. So like educate me like what, what is it like let's go down, yeah, let's I don't go know. down that route i'm like hole. yeah that sounds yeah. cool yeah. i don't know what that means cool but, cool like shake on my head but yeah what what kanban yeah like kanban k-a-n-b-a-n okay i have a couple videos i'll send you yeah, yeah. uh but really it so this is where i was and i'm sure that a lot of our listeners and a lot of you yeah. guys have been in this position over and over again where you're like you're in a position where it's like okay we have all these things to do. We need to hire people. We need resources and your management or whoever you're talking to is like, well, why? What's yeah. the headcount? What does that mean? Why, what do you need this? Where is it coming from? So I was finally like, all right, because I was in a position where I was like, I don't know all of the different things that people do now. Like I'm over, you know, accounting and land and I need everything that everybody has. So I literally went to the Amazon store and ordered on Amazon, like butcher block paper and sticky notes. And I had it on my wall and I had everybody list. Okay. Tell me everything that we have to do. All right. Next batter up box. What has deadlines <laughs> next? Yeah, right. What can you actually work on this week mm -hmm. that you're going to accomplish? And then it, my job then became what park it, what, you know, whatever got moved down to parking lot because of a software issue, a, problem that came up and you know anything else that came up I was clearing the roadblock so that the work in progress could continue and then we could also show our completed work so as work was completed people start seeing the results so we adopted it manually and physically so that people actually could see you know we are making a difference and it's created visibility for our management team and other places to show resources and availability and we figured out our whip limit, what was planned work, unplanned work, and it really put data behind hiring decisions, resource management, allocation. And with, you know, our team of like eight, we got on a similar size asset with a larger company that would have 23 to 25 people working on it. We did our throughput, our regular day to day, and we were able to stand up and sit down a contract managed asset, implement a new ERP and a whole lot of other things all internally. So it was a really cool tool um, that I highly recommend. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, it, it's like a visualization of everything yes. that you have to do. That's like, that's mm -hmm. what's in my head of, yeah. as you're describing that. Yeah. 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 You tie hours to it. You tie, you can tie a lot of different things um, in that, in that way. And a lot of people use Azure DevOps or um, Trello or other Kanban boards uh, just to show work moving through. That's cool. We need to do that. Know, so it's like, I think we've probably <laughs> seen this before and just never, like, never knew there was a word for it. Or, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like uh, Toyota manufacturing companies kind of comes from that industrial um, tech space, actually. And I just, just thought we need to apply it. Maybe we could apply it here. And I had a great team that really bought in and did a good job with it. Um, and I've been using it ever since. Uh, it, it has helped us a lot. That's cool. What about like on the uh, financial planning side? Do you guys have really form formal budget stuff? Do you really look at like detailed financials? Do you have enough uh, stability and predictability in your revenue to be able to do that? One thing I think we struggle with is some, a lot of our big chunk of our revenue is commodity based. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, cool, we'll put a budget together and gas prices drop 65%. And you're like, this budget's garbage. Let's get another one together. <laughs> so there's always like an iterative uh, aspect to that. I've always kind of fantasized about having a better, more 
detailed budget that I can run with, but it never fails to be almost like kind of like finger in the wind. We sort of know, but we don't really know, which makes it hard to plan. Just mm-hmm. wondering like your process around that. I mean, we're two years in yeah. uh, and I feel more comfortable this year with more like, okay, I know I'm going to allocate X, Y, Z to BD. Um, I know we're going to hit, you know, these seven or eight major events and then anything else that comes up in between kind of have an idea of what that's going to look like. Um, we are service oriented. So all of our, our contracts and implementations and things like that, we have a, a good idea of what we're going to see this year of a minimum. And then, um, you know, if anything comes in on top of that, it, it does change. Uh, you're right. It does change. People, someone could call tomorrow. Commodity prices could, you know, fall through and that's it that that project is over got to move on to the next one right what about like the balance between um you know making the sausage getting the work done all those things you talked about being efficient and then also like the relationship side of managing customers clients touch points with them do you ever just like look up and you're like oh my gosh i've talked to this customer or client in like three yeah. months or something mm-hmm. and we're i mean we're doing all the work and getting things done i know my people are talking to them but also that balance too so that's something else that i struggle with especially as you have to start delegating more you're like whereas when it was just you and a small team maybe you're you're talking to them more you feel more connected even though maybe all your people are talking to them all the time but is that something that you deal with at all yeah (laughs) absolutely i mean i i struggle with that i don't i don't have a good answer other than i look up and i go oh yes i it's not intentional we get busy and we get buried in other things and then i want to come back and and do more of the follow-up so uh when that happens i I pick up the phone and i call them and i try to figure out what's going on and just make sure everybody's happy sure it's just like a relationship management thing as well and you want to make sure your people are doing that too and Mm -hmm. that's why it's important to have good people Mm -hmm. um back to the business so division orders i mean like really you kind of hit everything but for people that are interested in your guys' service really Mm -hmm. talk more specific like the different offerings and i know it's always like say yes (laughs) <laughs> or that's how we feel a lot of times. But uh, the stuff that you're really, really good at, I know you've hit it all, but kind of if you could categorize it for people that are interested in using you guys. Sure. So um, division orders, lease records, owner relations, um, those are all more related to the administering of all of the contracts related to oil and gas, making sure people are billed and paid correctly. Right. Um, and so that means that we're working in accounting ERPs, we're working in land software for, to capture all the right, you know, agreements that are out there um, and making sure that that data is actually connected. You get, a, you talk to a lot of sales reps, a lot of different, you know, technology companies, which are all really, really good. But sometimes there's a missing piece of data, like the lease number needs to be connected to that right owner number. And I know I'm getting into the weeds here, no, but, good. but that data actually has to exist in order to connect all of those moving parts. So that's a lot of a lot of our our work is centered around that. And then, you know, as, as we have approached the renewable space, we're finding that there's a lot of opportunity there, yeah. too. I mean, there's a lot of um, contracts and leases and uh, solar and wind that are being captured. And all those data points also need to be captured and, uh, you know, reported on and put into their system so they don't miss a lease obligation or payment or something like that. So it's very similar. Uh, but it, it's also a, a di- totally different animal at the same time. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, seems like they have a lot of the same pain points. The industry is 
not as mature, not as developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the opportunities there? Like you said earlier <laughs> around, rather than the things that they could do better. Uh, what are some of the opportunities, opportunities in the renewables? Yeah. Opportunities I, for improvement in the renewable space. Um, you know, I think it's, it's that figuring out some processes, workflows. I mean, we've, we've, been working on fixing those for a long time on the oil and gas space and they are very related you know you're capturing agreements that you will then you know generate power sell power allocate it back to your landowners it's a very similar process uh, to what we would do in oil and gas we're capturing leases to produce powers or oil and gas sell it come back allocate it back so there's I think a lot of lessons learned and a lot of things that we could do to help um, that industry stand up, uh, put it together in a way that maybe we take some of these lessons learned, we've, we've learned the hard way, uh, and put it together on the front end so that they don't maybe have so many um, sure. other opportunities, to yeah. over- challenges yeah. to overcome. Right. <laughs> Where's like the, this is just for me, I know there's a lot of renewables going on in Texas, but is it, are those where, is it in Oklahoma, is it Texas, or where are you seeing these clients based out of? Because it feels like it may be more spread out. Very versus out. like the traditional oil and gas cities that you would kind of think to go to be. Uh, it's East Coast to West Coast and internationally. I mean, they're all over. We talk to people in all all the different time zones. I've yeah. had to Google more time zones yeah. than I care what to admit. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I've called some of the wrong time zones. So, um, you know, it's it's very interesting. Uh, I have learned a ton and I love this about all of the energy industry in general, whether it's renewable, oil and gas, whatever, there's always opportunities to learn and add to, you know, what you kind of already, already know and have learned in the past. Are there other mature, big service companies in that space that are doing kind of what you're doing or is it more fractionalized, like a lot of random, like they're like, Oh, we'll just use this random back office company or whoever that doesn't really have this energy knowledge just because they are so new. Or how do you see the service side in that space? I'm not really plugged in. I think on like like the land leasing side where you have a bunch of, not a bunch, but a few brokers out there that are pretty good that have, you know, taken a bunch of oil and gas leasing plays and now they've transitioned over to the renewable side. I think you see a lot of that. But where I, I want to and plan to um, offer more education on like the back office side, I don't, I don't see a lot of that out there currently. Uh, and I think that that's something that would be additive value to the renewable side that will really help them as they set up again, their reporting financial forecasting, um, you know, that those, those leases are expensive. (laughs) You want to make sure you don't miss anything. So your competitor doesn't doesn't swoop in and ruin your, your solar plan. For sure. Uh, it's, it's cool. Go ahead, Chris. No, just, I mean, kind of hearing you talk about it and just from like kind of past experiences, the, all these different kind of parts of business, and so we're, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. in, in energy and renewable space and they're kind of related, but it, you know, I'm just making an analogy. I think like a lot mm-hmm. of businesses and industries have these very specific roles and if those roles aren't talking to each other and aren't kind of integrated all the way through the end product isn't right, whatever that end product is. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, I kind of listened on, on the energy space here, like, I don't know, maybe interesting to kind of like walk through kind of quickly. I don't know, like kind of, kind of some different steps in the process. I mean, leasing land and getting that into a system owners, it's not just one and and ultimately it gets to a payment, you know? Sure. What's yeah, go for it. 
Yeah. I mean, like, what's this? Pr- I mean, are you saying for renewable specifically, or for or for oil and gas? Yeah. Ooh. All of it. We could go with either. But I mean, yeah. I I kind of know the oil and gas side, but um, if you could talk to the renewable side, just for my you yeah. know understanding, is it a different? It seems like a lot of similar type process. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. I mean, you're you're you've got your brokers or leasing agents right. out there talking to the landowners, securing the lease. So first and foremost, you've got to make sure that you have a, a, a process in place to pay the landowner their their bonus payment, essentially, uh, that the contract is actually captured. And prior to that process, you're going back and forth with internal legal land, going back and forth until you agree to the terms of the lease, and then you get it signed, and then that's the effective date of the lease. So from that point forward, all of those lease terms need to be captured, all of that um information needs to be gleaned from there for obligation payment dates if there's an extension date if there's six extension days right. you got to have all of that captured and how much is due by when because if you don't pay it by a certain date as you are well aware of that you run the risk of losing the lease which was your whole project and you've flushed all that money down down and away down the drain so then you've got um you know, once all of that information is captured and then once, you know, the project goes into a production or producing phase, so everything's built. Now the operations have, have switched from a pre-production to a post-production period. Then you have all of the information that you need to uh, capture on the front end to actually pay those royalty type of payments or, you know, power purchase payments back to the wind or solar um, owner. Mm-hmm. So. Most of these greenfield projects, were they just the company or any of these companies acquiring something like in the oil and gas world? I think we're going to see more and more of that. And yes, I do see some of that happening on a transactional basis, right. which I think is, again, important to make sure that what you're getting into has information. And if you ask for it, a lot of it, you know, is in spreadsheets. A lot of it is kind of hidden in various shared drive folders, just like we see on the oil and gas side. But the, the more streamlined you can get that information, the better. And there's some really cool new platforms out there that we've been working with on, you know, just contract management, capturing red lines, yeah. uh, doing things a little bit differently, things that have workflow built in. So I think there's some great options out there that um, could help solve some of these problems. Uh, on the oil and gas side, you, most of these are, when you're coming into these companies, Talk about the software implementation side. That's something that I don't have as much experience with. Is it typically a company that's existing and they're trying to implement a new software? Is it a company that just bought an asset and they're trying to get one in place? Are they people switching softwares, all the above? Challenges with each. All of the above. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's interesting. There, You run into a couple of different problems. The first one is, let's start with, you're, you're a larger company or you're an established company, you have a land system or you have an accounting system, but you I just took on another 5,000 well, 2,000 well acquisition. Right. You know that this information, and it's a totally different state, doesn't work well with your current software. So you either have to work through a software plan to rapidly develop to get it that software platform to where you need it to be, or you start looking around. And a lot of people are doing both simultaneously. And so in order to do both simultaneously, you have to know what you're asking for and make sure, you know, you're, you're walking through the steps and know you have a good development plan. And then you also have to know, okay, 
XYZ off the shelf, probably solve 75% of your problems. We'll have a gap here. We'll have a gap there. Mm-hmm. Your, your choice. Uh, and, and this is how we can, once you make that decision, this is how we can help you get from A to B. Um, so that is part of it. That's the first hurdle is making that decision. Yeah. And then the second hurdle is, all right, now how are, now we've got existing data and we've got new data coming in. We've got two implementations because they're formatted completely differently. We've got to have a timeline and a phased approach likely on how we're going to get this all into one system and a timeline and resources allocated and all of those things. So it's a couple of different moving parts there. Yeah. Have you seen like the software side evolving since you've been uh, in the industry? I remember when I was back at Chesapeake, there was some stuff we had that was very, I mean, it was almost like, like DOS. It was like you had to use the keyboard. Artesia, that's yeah, like you had to use like the keyboard, basically. It was like a green, <laughs> green screen. Yeah, green screen. <laughs> this was in like 2012 or 13, 11. So it wasn't like that. Well, 10 years ago, and you were it's still using like only a keyboard to manage it. You yeah. couldn't even use your mouse. That's like, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then obviously now there's, uh, so just, I guess the question is, how have you seen it evolve? Are they getting better or this the big system still pretty cumbersome? Are there some good, more nimble, smaller startup uh, systems? But anyways, your thoughts? I think they're all improving, which I know is a very software agnostic thing to say, but actually they are. I mean, I've seen them all implement some version of a SaaS based or a better workflow or communication on a prettier interface that makes it more intuitive and user friendly on some of the um, older, more modular based platforms. And then you've got some that have just come out of the gate swinging and they have full SaaS based implementation and you can log in from anywhere. You don't have to have it downloaded on your computer. You get all the most recent updates. So there's some of them that are really pretty nimble and do a really good job with uh, keeping up and being agile because this is a constantly changing environment. (laughs) Have you seen any hype around AI at all? Oh, yeah. Like, is it getting hyped into the softwares yet or is anybody pitching that like they're using it? Yes. And... There's some of it that's pretty effective. You're still getting more standardized results than you would get if you had, you know, 60 different brokers or land people or contractor viewers looking at the con- same contract. You can get the same different answer captured 60 different ways. Uh, so by using AI, some of those were like thought trace, but I think it was just bought by uh, by somebody. And then uh, some of the other platforms that exist out there, Grouper and a couple of others on a standardized form, you can capture a lot of information, but the non-standardized forms are still a little bit of a challenge, but it's getting better. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's crazy yeah. fascinating, like how quickly yes. that's, it's like we've been hearing about it for a while, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it starts to be released and you're seeing the power. Mm-hmm. Well, you see like what yeah. chat GPT and some of these things could do. Those and then cool. we look at it and we're like, man, this could probably do a lot, especially with contracts. Yes. It seems like with contracts, because it's just written word mm-hmm. and because a lot of them are, relatively formulaic that there could probably be a lot of streamlining there. I just haven't seen it in action. I've Googled it a little bit and seen some companies. It looks like it's cool, but I'm like, does this really work? Um, The ones I looked at were really oil and gas. It was more like medical industry or other stuff where there's Mm -hmm. like forms basically. So all the inputs are probably pretty standardized. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just wondering if you've seen it on that topic of contract management. What are some of the contract management softwares that you see? Because a lot of what we do, is managing the oil and gas and the commercial sales, mm-hmm. uh, commercial contracts. Some of the systems that are out there for that are very big and very cumbersome and not really accessible for the small and mid-sized guy. What are the ones that are out there? What are the ones that you've seen either in what in our line of work or uh, 
in the other side, the leasing side? What are some of the good ones or big ones? Uh, one that I've actually adopted for that specific purpose uh, for capturing some key marketing contract terms was uh, is on-demand land. It was formerly known as Landox. It's pretty flexible. It captures key terms and provisions and has dates tied to it. So mm-hmm. you can, um, you know, look at that conf- easily. I can conform it. <laughs> yeah. I am not right. a code writer, yeah, right. uh, but it really it is helpful for that. And it's pretty uh, easy to pick up and easy to handle. Have you, have you guys ever thought of building any tech stack of your own or is it just like says you're so software agnostic? It's like, let's just focus on like getting really good at everybody <laughs> else's or have you ever decided to try to lean in more and use anything that you guys have created or just? I have definitely thought about it um, because I really, you know, you're going to get me on a little bit of a soapbox, but I think in <laughs> order for all of this to actually work well, it needs to be on one platform. You need to have all of your contractual terms and everything that it takes to build this division of interest connected and it all should be in one seamless, uh, seamless system. It shouldn't be you have a data gap over here that you're maintaining because every every company across the board since the beginning of time takes care of a kind of land or another contracts uh, right. database system and in accounting and uh, you know jib and everything else that involves revenue jib all ap all, this accounting system is separate over here so you have two separate things yeah, that you're constantly right. trying to maintain so it's a duplicative process data that could be incorrect, outdated, um, and it, it's very cumbersome to maintain. Yeah, for sure. How do you get to uh, kind of jumping around? And feel free to jump in, Chris, if you think of anything. But I'm more back to this uh, finding ways to say yes when you look at the universe of opportunities. I feel like it can go from what can we can we figure out something to build a business and to do? And it seems like it can quickly go from we have all these things that we could be doing uh, to what we should be doing. When you go in somewhere do you find yourself just trying to find a way to say yes or like agreeing to be like, Oh yeah, we can take care of that. Uh, when really you have to go back to your team and be like, all right, we got to take care of this thing now. And they're like, what'd you agree to? Does that ever happen? I feel like we run into that problem sometimes where we like, we want to say yes, but we're like, can we actually execute on that? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Max, that yeah. is correct. We are finding a way. <laughs> uh, yes. I've gotten, you know, I, I really try to stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. And if there is something that, you know, they ask for it, that I'm like, I'm, I have to build a strong referral network and yeah. refer to experts in the space that I think that they would be a better fit for. Uh, so that's what I typically try to do. Uh, there's a couple of times I was like, yeah, I can figure that out. And we do. I mean, if it's a software thing, we're not afraid of different softwares that we know how the data should work and should look and, run together um so it's a matter of conforming to a d- specific data set or yeah software but what do you uh, uh where do you see like why do you define success like where do you want to go with this what do you want to do just have real easy questions <laughs> super easy <Yeah>. what happened <laughs> with the softball <laughs> questions back um i don't know success for me is uh it really twofold we're we're solving problems in the industry because i love to be challenged i love to you know listen to people understand what's going on and find ways that we can meet that need and i also absolutely love building a good team and working with good quality people um, and and people that like to be there i mean 
we haven't been around very long, but I, I love that people are celebrating their, you know, one, two year anniversaries coming yeah. up. And yeah. that means a lot to That's me. Awesome. That people are, you know, in it and, and right. with us. So it's kind of fun. Do you ever feel like when you get to that goal or that milestone or that thing that you thought would be really successful, that it just feels kind of like, cause you're driven, you're trying to build something. So probably before you get to that milestone that you set, you're thinking about the next one. Right. So it's <laughs> oh, like, yeah. uh-huh. do you ever feel like, not satisfied when you should be feeling really excited about the success you've had? Yes, all the time. I mean, I'm constant. Your brain is probably wired very similarly. There's there's so much opportunity. I sometimes struggle with like, okay, we have, we've done all of these really good things. That's really good. But okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing I want to go pursue? Who can we do that with? We worked with XYZ. Maybe we should try to work on an idea here. So my my biggest challenge is really focusing that all the squirrels into <laughs> yeah. like a, a methodical, more methodical plan. Yeah. Do you, it's, it's, well, I was going to say, ahead. and it probably is the same for you. It's it's hard because you, you, you keep on pushing, keep on yeah. pushing mm-hmm. for more. But just to take that moment when something good has happened and yeah. just kind of let it sink in and kind of soak like, enjoy it for a minute like this this is good and then keep going right yeah you know but it's you have to force yourself to do it i have people in my life that help me with that like my brother will be like take put yourself in your shoes 10 years ago or eight years ago and then have that version of you looking at you now and then think about how excited and happy that person would be and you're like well when you put it that way it's almost like you have to look at where you've come from yes in some ways but there's also this uh as you climb a ladder or stairs, you get to a certain place. And if you have, sometimes you have to take steps back down and that always feels really bad. It almost feels worth to, worse to take a couple steps back than it did how good it felt to take those two steps forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I struggle with. It's like you get to a certain level and you're like, okay, well, we have to keep this going. And it's hard. I mean, because when you're starting from nothing, yes. a little bit of growth is easy. And then when you have an established thing to get every, it seems like the incremental growth gets harder. And I don't know if that's just the service industry. I know there's probably other businesses where there's a lot of economies of scale right. and like things start to snowball. To some extent, it happens that way. But being in the service side, I don't know, it just seems harder to grow. You have to add bodies and you have to. Yes. Scaling add. is a challenge, as you know. Yeah. Um, and that's really, you know, we're in year three. So we're looking at how do we really scale and how do we accomplish those things? And this is a good spot to be. We're happy with where we are, yeah. but I, I know we could do X, Y, Z. So how do we get to that next level and who do we you know, either partner with or, or work with in the future to make that happen? Do you think that with what you do, because it's relatively labor intensive, is it like when you grow, is it you have to add bodies for the most part? Or is there any, is there any economies like with us? It's there's some things like on the marketing side, I feel like, you know, a back office person can handle, you know, more volume, um, maybe more wells, it takes more work, but there are certain things that feel easier to scale. There's other things like consulting where kind of need bodies. It's like, and so you get into this trap of like the top line grows, but the bottom line grows much slower because of that. Is that something you deal with at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, you know, we've been able to, you know, grow incrementally to keep up with what we have now, but to go, 
further, we have to continue to build out the team. And, and then that means I need to make sure that I am spending time training and developing and, and doing the things we need to do to make sure we're on brand and we're, we're delivering the same quality. Uh, We want to be ready for scale. We've seen other companies that have scaled really quickly and then the service or the quality has gone down and we, we want to make sure both stay in line. So it's a big challenge. I know you've been there and I, I don't, I wish I had a better answer. There's not a good answer. That's why I asked you the question. These are the things that we struggle with. Yeah. Uh, you, you kind of, you kind of hit on culture a little bit. I mean, do you think mm-hmm. about like, Oh yeah. You know, it, 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 it's it's, big it's deal. still a small company. Yeah. But like, how do you think about culture? Uh, I think it's a, a big deal. So one of the things I think that I wanted to do is set ourselves apart again a little bit is I want my team to know what's going on. I want us to, uh, everybody works remotely, of course, because that's the day and age that we're in, which right. is great. Uh, but we have quarterly in-person meetings. Uh, we have an afternoon where everybody comes in. We have a, a status of the company. This is what's going on. So where we're at, we'd love your help with X, Y, Z. And then I pick out an educational topic that I try to bring them up to speed on like, this is designing configuration, <laughs> this is yeah. whatever piece. Uh, and then we go do something fun. So that then we're building rapport within our team so that nobody's afraid to ask a question. You say, hey, I've never dealt with this probate in Arkansas. Can someone help me? Or right. has anyone dealt with this before? And then you start building camaraderie. And um, again, I think we will continue to get better because our team is continuing to, to get better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Managing lots of people, I always, there's this thing where like, I'll see these businesses that you read about like Craigslist or whatever, where like their revenue per employee is like insane. They have like 50 people and they run this like multi-billion dollar (laughs) thing. And I'm like, that's nuts. Like, or a company that, you know, has a handful of people and they grow to be really big. Getting, getting back to that problem that I mentioned where it's like, as you grow, you have to put bodies on it. And then now you're dealing with dozens of personalities, dozens of people uh, that want different things in life and in their job and you can create a culture, but like everybody's different and people want to grow in their careers. Mm -hmm. So it's like the two year anniversaries I've found are pretty easy. The five or six year anniversaries, people are like, okay, like what, you know, what's the next, where's my path? And you're Mm -hmm. like, it's a small company and you're like trying to manage that. Like, I don't know all those struggles. Like how do you deal with the people? side of it other than just hire good i guess uh, <laughs> like-minded people um no that's a it's a it's a really something that i have struggled with and i'm working on i'm i'm not gonna have all the right answers there either but um i think that it's important to continue to try to challenge the people that you have and and make sure that i'm sure they're listening they're like we're, we're challenged stop <laughs> uh, but uh you know i guess that's kind of what I would say to that is just uh, it's a it's an evolutionary process. Uh, obviously, there's a I want to get to a place where to scale on the services side. I I'm I pitched this a few times, and some people really understand it and really love it, and some people are like, "Nah, just do time and materials. It's totally fine." But using Kanban methodology, the technology that we have available today, we can get more throughput than the average. Uh, service providers out right. there and it's proven and it's, it's no secret there uh, and it's nothing other than you know we've got a good team and we have we use a different methodology than most people on how to organize our work and get higher throughput 
I think if we switch to more of a, a widget based or throughput based pricing, uh, if some people really like that, some people don't. But if you go to that and you think about, okay, at the end of the day, we need XYZ from the service company or we need XYZ results from this particular project or this particular thing. When you start switching to that mindset versus I need 30, 30 bodies in here, or 20 bodies in here, or five or whatever, you start seeing a better return on investment and we can handle a lot more yeah. in that same setup and right. maybe scale without adding as many bodies. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think about, um, without saying anything you can't say, but like mm-hmm. around pricing and how you think about things, we've really struggled with like hourly or pricing where it's tied to time Yeah. because we felt like that's just such a misaligned metric. Correct. So it's like, if you've done a task mm-hmm. and you've done it a lot, you get probably get really good at it, which mm-hmm. means if you're getting paid on time, you're getting punished for being efficient. Even worse, if you can use technology or find a way to streamline it to do what used to take five people, two weeks, if you can do it with two people in one week, now all of a sudden you've made way less money if you're doing it on like a day rate or an yeah. hourly rate. And so then how do you figure out pricing? This is probably one of the hardest things that we deal with is just pricing in general. Like how do you price the services that you do, the mechanisms that you use? What do you find the clients want versus what you feel is effective? Those are great questions because I, I think that was part of why I thought when I was step back on 21 is I wanted to pitch this mindset of this or this uh, type of service where it's more of a retainer base. I know I'm going to throw a minimum of X hours in. I know that this makes the most sense. And then if there's, you know, a time where there's, you know, 1099 calls or some other regular form of business that comes in and throws that hour count way over, then maybe we'll figure it out. But at least that sets you up on a on a budget friendly basis where you're you're pitching it as, okay, we're going to commit to you that XYZ is going to get done. And this is the price because I think this is about the time frame that we can get it in. And then if we're aligned with our client because we're saying, okay, we also know that we have this minimum threshold requirement. So we've got to meet it or beat it in order to make money. So I think that that is a really um, something that I would like to see more happen. But at the end of the day, there I mean, there's some times where it's just like, well, I'm not sure how long we're going to really do this or that or whatever. So then you get tied back into time and materials. Do you have a the issue where people ever like really want like this ridiculous menu where they're like, because we'll be like, oh, we're going to do this project and it's going to be pick a number, say it's $100 just to make the math easy. And they're like, well, get it where you have like just this piece, just this piece, just this piece. I'm like a hundred. I don't know. Like it's like, do I? Cause then you're like, then you're like, well, uh, this is $3. This is five. And they're like, we'll just do these pieces. Well, it's like, we can't really, because we kind of need to do, you know what I mean? Does that ever happen where people are trying yeah. to dissect what your bid is to make it into something? You almost have to do the whole project to figure out what all the pieces are and then like how to price it in that way. Yeah. Yes. And we try, I mean, that's where we get into the yes. And we're going to try to accommodate to get the win and, you know, get the work and earn the business. Um, but, I try to throw as many caveats in as possible to try to cover the scenarios that you guys have seen come up. We're like, well, we can do this in this, but we're missing this piece over here. So until we get this piece, we're going to be at a standstill on these pieces. So we've got to either figure out how we're going to tackle it and price this separately. Or um, if you want to shop it and look around, that's totally fine. But, you know, this is going to throw some roadblocks in. (laughs) You guys are pretty niche. Do you ever compete with like a, more generalist like accounting type groups or groups that are maybe bigger and they're like we're 
consulting or accounting and they're not really in your niche and maybe they've got some like really cutthroat price, but you're like, but they don't really do what we do and we're going to do a better job. Does that ever happen with you guys? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's fine. And I, you know, when I get pushed on that, I say, okay, well think about really look at your resources, make sure you look at the resumes that you're getting that are going to be dedicated to your project. See what experiences is going to be there. We may be a little bit more expensive, but I'm going to spend less of my time because we've already been down that road and we can point you in the right direction. So it will save you time and money on the front end a little bit. Um, if you, if you leverage some experience there, I think we ran into that with like people wanting to do stuff that's more in the accounting vein and it's like, but it's more commercial. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, come audit this thing or come do this accounting function. And we're like, well, this is kind of where we're at. And they're like, well, this XYZ accounting company can do it for this cheap. And it's like, yeah, but they're not really oil and gas people. They're right. not really commercial really people. Accounting either, you know, yeah, it's not really yeah. accounting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, something like a gas balancing seems like maybe just a basic accounting group could do that. But it's like, if you don't really know how to manage this then don't you probably should use that person that's never doesn't really do that speaking of opportunities yeah (laughs) gas balancing why is it it's that seems like an underserved thing no one wants to do it oh yeah because it's complicated um and there's not really a lot of great software solutions that finish it out to the gas balancing degree i mean they'll get you to a certain point and then you're kind of on your own to manage it and a lot of people do it in spreadsheets which is fine as long as it's being captured in and manage. Uh, but there's a lot of revenue that's on the table sitting out there that just needs to be cleaned up or, you know, you go, this is what I find most often is you've gone through, it started back in Amico (laughs) and then then we've, we've traveled through 16 different hands on the same asset. And every time they, uh, a new company bought it, they implemented current data forward. So there's all this stranded gas balances, stranded revenue out here that just needs to be tied to the current ownership. Yeah. Once you tie it to the current ownership, then you can figure out your imbalances and, and get those settled. But that can add up and add up for quite a bit of money if you're looking for right. quick wins on your on your new acquisition. Sure. Um, pivoting to like business development, you hit on it. You said like, we've got certain events we want to go to, um, how strategic is the business development? Do you find times to, and I'll give you our anecdote. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like right now, I feel like we're putting a lot of emphasis on it. Um, primarily because we're trying to find ways to grow. Other times you're just getting so inundated with work that you're like, I, I don't really have to do much BD because stuff's just coming to you. And then you look up and you're like, I should be doing more BD. Like, do you guys have a strategy around it? Do you, what are the different things that you do? Is it just word of mouth? Are you doing marketing or using <laughs> media? Like just talk about that stuff. We're going to do better this year. Uh, yeah. My first, my first year was show up, just show up to all of the different things that you are ever invited to right. and be there as much as possible. Be present and uh, tell people what you do. Uh, cast a wide net. Yeah. Um, and then since then, last year, we were a little bit more strategic, but you go to things and then you're like, oh, it wasn't really that much, you know, didn't add yeah. that much value. So we've taken the last couple of years and looked at this year and, you know, obviously NAPE is a big deal. We love going down there, seeing all our old friends uh, and new, making new friends. Um, and then looking at the industry events, both renewable and uh, oil and gas and seeing where we could get the most bang for a buck. So really, we've got about eight to 10 events that we're, these are must attends. Anything that falls in between there, of course, we want to go to, but I am part of my delegation and growth opportunity for myself is really like, I, I don't have to be everywhere. We have really good people that have great relationships. Let's empower them 
you know, we can divide and conquer some of these things. What percentage of your new business that you get is from kind of random interactions or whether it be like a cold call, that's a catch all phrase, but something mm -hmm. where it's like a new touch point with someone you don't know versus what percentage is relationship based? Oh, I would say probably 80% is relationship based. 20% is cold, but I will say I was very fortunate. And I think the people and across the energy industry, whether it's renewable oil and gas or wherever have been so kind to introduce to their next level. So you're and then they're like, Oh yeah, well we know this friend you need to meet them and you need to be introduced. So it's really been through that, that we've seen growth and, and really expanded. Uh, but there's also, you know, the occasional, uh, I saw you, I saw you on LinkedIn and they yeah. message or whatever. And that's a cold thing, but th that's kind of cool too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. we see that too. Like whenever Chris and Mike came on last year, uh, Mike is doing a lot of BD work for us and he had a really good question. He was like, can you walk through not the history of the company, but the history of the origination of every client? And I was sure. like, that's actually a really good exercise. Cause it I hadn't, is. you kind of intuitively know it. Right. And so we sat down for like an hour and I just sort of rambled. We probably should have written it down, but I was kind of like, well, we started off with these clients and the way we met them was through this relationship. And I'd worked with this person and then I called them or saw them at NAPE or whatever. And you kind of go through all these things and you start to kind of realize like it's, I don't want to say luck, but it's, it's relationships. I mean, at the end, mm -hmm. like a lot of, sorry, that was really loud. Put okay. this on, do not disturb. <laughs> I have it on do not disturb, but the only one that can break through that is my wife. So I know that if it's text messages yeah. from her, because uh, yes. she's like, that. I have that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically what we found was that like, it wasn't random stuff that got us the business. It was, uh, it was these relationships for the most part. And a lot of times it was like better lucky than good stuff. It's like, well, we were kind of going through a slow time. And then Mark's college buddy bought an asset with like all these wells and called mm -hmm. us up and was like, we need help. And I'm mm -hmm. like, how do we get more of that? So, but I think that comes back to like yes. putting out your spheres of influence, like finding ways to connect with people, mm -hmm. forcing yourself to, to network. And what I found is that the most powerful way to network is to meet people and make friends when you don't need anything. Cause that's like, if you're that's just my favorite saying, if you're just make meeting, friends before you need them. Yeah. Just, if you're just <laughs> trying to network to get something and I see this on LinkedIn, it's my yes. biggest pet peeve. It's like someone connects with you, sends you like seven messages. And I'm like, that's, you know, like that's not going to work. Yes. So it's like, why don't you just make friends with someone? The best time to ask to do business together is if you've known someone for five years mm -hmm. and you've like hung out a million times, mm -hmm. then it's like, Hey, we've got this opportunity. We should work together. But I don't know. That's just my kind of take uh, on I, it. I think mm -hmm. I would rant on that too. It's like, I think you work better with people that you know and you trust. Right. And yes. You do that by building a relationship over time. It's like, yes, yeah. you have a body of work. You, you know, have seen it proven. You can, you understand it. And I think that's really where uh, doing good work and doing the right thing really helps um, build your, build your business, uh, really helps build relationships. People are willing to introduce you to their second, third, which I don't take lightly. I think yeah. that's, very kind and very uh passing it forward so anytime i can return the favor i do yeah absolutely well we hit an hour and i want to talk to you after this and we've got stuff in a little while so yeah. we're going to end it it's been really fun yeah it's been thank um, you thanks for coming on yeah. we'll do more stuff fun stuff together we need to do more social stuff in okc we need absolutely. to like get some stuff going on absolutely so we can all hang out for sure so all right we'll donna enjoy. thank you thanks guys thanks.